Hello, welcome to the Basketball Soapbox. I'm your host, Daniel Daly. Uh, as we start this one, we're going to be talking about the NBA playing, which has been awesome. So that's what episode 40 is, the play-in recap. We're just going to recap the first round of the play-in. Um, a lot of great games happening right now, and I love it, and the play-in has been awesome. And Especially, let's start with the Los Angeles Lakers versus the Timberwolves. Uh, the Lakers ended up getting a 108-102 victory over the Timberwolves in a very highly contested game, a game that was sloppy at times, uh, a lot of things going back and forth. And Minnesota was up big in this game, up 15 points, really had control of this game. And they really just lost a lot of opportunities. I think they went on a six-minute drought there in the fourth quarter, uh, just not able to score and just not able to run a good offense. And despite some things going on there, I felt like they had many chances to win the game. The Lakers were giving them every chance to win the game, turning over the ball, uh, uh, missing shots, even shabby offense on their end. But Minnesota went there for like a six-minute mark in the fourth quarter where they just couldn't get a bucket. And you have the Lakers' defense – is one of the best in the league since the uh, trades they made. Obviously, that's a big factor. You know, going up against the Lakers with Anthony Davis and Jared Vanderbilt and Austin Reeves, all these guys that can cover and defend and do all these things. But when they're running their offense in the day that uh, Anthony Edwards doesn't have it, clearly doesn't have it. It looks like something was wrong with his shoulder over the course of the game and stuff like that, and he's really just not having it. And late in the game, they constantly try to go to Anthony Edwards and let him create some offense with Cat. They try to post up Cat a little couple of times, and it's just like from that standpoint of that offense and stuff like that with Minnesota, when you're getting stagnant offense, the guy that had it going, the two guys that had it going over the course of the game, Mike Conley, Torian Prince, did not touch the ball really. They really didn't get a chance to get the ball, and I felt like that was an error on coaching, right, like where Anthony Edwards clearly doesn't have it. I think he was 3 for 17 on the night. He doesn't have it. Carol Anthony Towns had a big first half and then ended up getting the foul trouble and then just lost his way in the second half, really didn't have anything. They would pass it to him, and he really couldn't get anything inside, even when they switched a smaller guy to, on him. And there were times when they couldn't even get him the ball to post up, like he was getting pushed off the position. That's just not his game. But in that game, when Mike Conley is six for seven, I believe, from three-point range at that time, probably your best passer, probably your best initiator. That's why you brought him there. They kept trying to go to Anthony Edwards and Carl Anthony Towns, and it's like, you guys should have probably went with Mike Conley in those pick-and-roll situations. We had a big game, you know, um, and I'll get into his uh, his free throws later in this conversation, but it's like, at that point, when you're not getting any points, you're turning over the ball, everything's looking bad, give it to your best player on the night, who was Mike Conley, in my opinion, most steady player, get him the ball and let him facilitate and initiate the offense. And I feel like that's something that um, even last year they had issues with Charles Barkley pointed it out all the time on TNT. Like they were just playing stupid basketball. They just take a lot of jumpers and they fell into that trap again against the Lakers in the game where they were up 15. They had every opportunity to win and they dropped the ball on that end, right? Like they just dropped the ball in my opinion. I feel like they could have won that game um, quite handily if they just got a couple easy buckets there and they just didn't. And they just didn't. And that's going to be haunting them uh, for probably the rest of the playoffs. I mean, they're going to have a difficult matchup coming in there, uh, coming in there um, on Friday with Oklahoma City. So that's going to be a tough matchup for them as well. Um, I just don't see how not winning that game, you don't have a lot of rest of it. I think they would have been playing Sunday. 
So that would have been Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday off, whatever's going on with Anthony Edwards. You would have been able to go into that that uh, uh, that uh, Western Conference matchup on Sunday fresh. You would have been fresh. You would have been had a better chance of that. Now you have the game on Friday. We have a tough turnaround. I don't know if they play. I don't think the NBA is going to be cruel and make them play Saturday. I don't think that's the case. I hope not. I think it might be. I got to check the schedule. But if they do, that's a quick turnaround. But then to sit there and be like, hey, you guys are going to play on Saturday or Sunday. I mean, the first round is a little bit spread out, so I think they probably would even play Monday. Hopefully the NBA does that. But in terms of what it could have been for the Minnesota Timberwolves, it's just not. And they they missed a lot of shots, took a lot of bad shots, had opportunities late, um, but just couldn't do it. Just couldn't do it. And especially you get uh, uh, big games from everybody. Like Kyle Anderson had a good game, a solid game, 12 and 13 on the night. Uh, Torian Prince had 14. Mike Conley had 23. And especially, most importantly, the last couple free throws there at the end of regulation, which I will also get into. But let's move to the Lakers side of things. They were able to squeeze this one out, able to win and basically go on to face Memphis, which is a promising matchup for them rather than going into the top half of the bracket. Um, They're now on the side of uh, Memphis, who is without Stephen Adams, without uh, uh, Brandon Clark. Uh, you have Golden State, who has been up and down all season, and now you're on that Sacramento side of bracket. So the Lakers definitely opened up their window to get to the Western Conference Finals, possibly the finals. They did open up that window, at least with this win. But let's get into LeBron, who was fantastic offensively, um, shot the ball well, had a good pace, had some struggles there late in the game where he turned it over. But overall, over the course of the game, to get them back in the game and really put them in a the position to win, he did that. Um, but a big guy that played well, even though Anthony Davis also had a big game, Dennis Schroeder had 21 points off the bench, and I thought he was just poised. This was one of the better games from him. He was just poised. He was able to get in there and be able to create shots, knock down some shots as we saw the big shot to give them the lead and eventually probably the game winner if something else didn't happen. But Dennis Schroeder, I thought he played great with poise, um, played excellent, played excellent really in this. Usually he's up and down or streaky or has an inefficient night, but he was really efficient, got to the line, was able to put a, uh, put be aggressive against the Minnesota Timberwolves without much rim protection. So he was able to do that and pay dividends for the Lakers, also knocking down a big shot. But the biggest thing in the game was at the end of the game, especially when after Dennis Schroeder and LeBron, LeBron hits Dennis Schroeder for the three and they get that opportunity to win the game, on the ensuing possession <laughs> – Anthony Davis does it again. He follows a three-point shooter with the game on the line. He did it against Utah against, I think it was Lauren Market. I think he fouled on the three-point line um, in a game that LeBron wasn't playing. I think LeBron was telling him to go to that side. He ended up just bull rushing Mike Conley, trying to close out, and ends up making contact with him. And Mike Conley, cool as a cucumber at the, at the, at the free-throw line. It was, the first one was a little shaky, but he was able to go down there and knock all, down all three free throws and was able to force overtime. So you sit there and you look at that, and it's just like the Lakers. I I was ready to troll Laker fans, and they were able to pull it out in the uh, in the overtime as the, the Minnesota Timberwolves, again, just couldn't score, just couldn't find anything on that offensive end once it reached that. I think they only scored four points in the overtime. So to sit there and see that for – uh, Minnesota, who now has to turn around and face a, 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 a tough, valiant team coming up, who I'll talk about in a little bit. 
Um, to see that turnaround was just like, damn, they had every opportunity to win that game in L.A. on the road without all the stuff going on, right? Like Rudy Gobert is punching teammates. Uh, McDaniel is punching the wall and breaking his hand. Like all these things that they have to try to overcome, and they had a chance to win, and they just didn't do it. They had stagnant offense late, um, and really just couldn't get anything going. Anthony Edwards having one of the worst games. He was up on the defensive end, but something was going on with his shoulder where he just couldn't get going, and that sucks. For Minnesota, as for L.A., now they get to face Memphis. That's a favorable matchup. They have a size advantage there. Uh, Memphis is kind of reeling, but we'll see. We'll see. We'll talk about that in, in, in when we get to closer to the playoffs, actually. Um, but we'll move on. But uh, L.A. got the win there. Uh, moving on to face Memphis. Minnesota will face OKC, who I'll talk about in a little bit. Um but yeah, that's it. That's it for the Lakers. The Lakers are moving on and we'll face Memphis in the first round. Moving on, the Hawks bullied their way to beat to beat Miami, which was a shocking win. I didn't think that Atlanta would be able to overcome their demons and defeat uh Miami, especially on the road, especially all the way that uh, Atlanta has been so middle of the road all season. Um, somehow they really put it together. And I did say the only way that they could really win is if Miami's offense got stagnant. If Miami's offense got stagnant and they couldn't score and they really couldn't score at points in time, um, Atlanta really pouring it on, having a great, uh, great, uh, overall showing from the whole team, right? Like they had a whole bunch of uh, bench points from O'Connell, who had 12 points off the bench. Um, Clint Capella played awesome, had 20 run rebounds, and that was really the biggest factor in the game to me, more than Atlanta's offense, more than um, Miami not being able to score. The second chance points Atlanta was able to create on the boards, on the offensive end, especially Clint Capella, all those guys are rebounding, getting in there and causing havoc. Um but we'll get into the play of Trey Young, who was fantastic, was able to overcome the demons in the past of uh, uh, of Miami, where he really just shot well, didn't shoot well in that series last year. Um, but he was able to turn around, even though he was inefficient, he was able still to knock down some shots, able to create and rebound, even on his end, and was able to differentiate his offense enough with DeJounte Murray enough to keep the Miami Heat off balance and, guess, out, and guessing. And when you get all that rebounding from Clint Capella, boy, that played a factor. I think they out-rebounded them 63-39 to 39 on the on the rebounds. And when you get that many second-chance opportunities and you get that much um, – that many second-chance points opportunities for an offense that was struggling all, all season, to get it that way and do it that way on the road in Miami is very impressive. But Trey Young stayed poised. Um really hung in there when they were trying to trap him and did some things where it was like Miami just didn't have enough answers, especially on the glass with these guys. Um, and I was surprised about this one because I did not think Atlanta was going to be able to put it together like that. I thought Miami was going to be able to lock down defensively. But when they couldn't score, I was like, uh-oh, this was the thing that we were talking about. And when Miami shoots 42% on the night, it's like your offense is already stagnant. You're not getting to the line enough. You're not doing all these things here. That's going to be terrible. That's going to be tough to overcome. But Sadiq Bey had 17 points off the bench, really knocking down his shot. Um, Bogdanovich had a good game. 
Um, Javante Murray had 18. So you're getting a good production and contributions from everyone. And I think that was the main thing that Atlanta needed and got in this game to overcome the Miami Heat. Now let's get to the Heat side of things. The letdown of Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo. Jimmy Butler came out and guaranteed a win, which Trey Young talked about after the game saying, hey, um, I heard that he guaranteed a win, so I was trying to do everything to uh, make sure that didn't happen. And the Hawks did that as a team. They really roughed up the um, Miami Heat, and all night, Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo just looked like they were running in quicksand. Really, when those guys really needed to have big games, they didn't. The guys that really had a big game was Tyler Hero, who had 26, but Kyle Lowry dusted off himself (laughs) after having a crap season all year, in my opinion, really didn't have a good season, wasn't really up to par. Had 33 points. 33 points from Kyle Lowry. You're getting all this production from those two. And Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo just couldn't get it going. Jimmy Butler was 6 for 19. Bam for Adebayo was 5 for 12. He had 12 and 9. Jimmy Butler had 21 and 9 there. So you're looking there and you're like, why couldn't they impact the game, impact the game, uh, put their force on the game how they usually do. Like those, that's what they usually do. Bam Adebayo is usually good defensively, able to get buckets around the rim, able to shoot a little bit. Jimmy Butler has been a great playoff performer, really steps up his game. And there were times when Miami tried to get back in the game, really tried to get back in the game, and they just couldn't. They just couldn't. And when you look at that, and you look at that aspect that they weren't able to, uh, uh, that's damaging, and especially going into, even though they are at home, you look at their home crowd, and this is a shot at Miami, I don't care. They're not the greatest home field court advantage, right? Like Miami's not, a, the team is tough, but in terms of where you're going in there with the fans, they show up late. It, it's not a basketball town like other teams and stuff like that. So that doesn't even play to their advantage. And if they can't fix their offense, especially when Kevin Love is not going and Victor Aladipo is not going, Duncan Robinson, who has been ever since the bowl has been just off the rails. You're not getting production from those guys that you have invested in. That's a tough call to turn around and sit there and be like, Hey, we can get this done now. And for them to fall to the eight spot, do they really want to play Milwaukee? <laughs> I don't think that's going to be as fun of a series as it was against Boston. Who are they familiar with and who they have some battle tested battles with, you know what I mean? And, to sit there and think, hey, they're going to go in and play hard against now Chicago, who we'll talk about in a minute. You think that they want to play Milwaukee? And I don't think they can. I don't think they have enough players right now and enough their team dynamics aren't working, and it's just looking bad. <laughs> it's looking bad for Miami right now. They, they lost to Atlanta, who they've handled in the past and had no issues with. Lay a dud, especially Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo. They laid a dud. And to have Atlanta go in there and win that game like that is very telling and very shocking to me, at least. Um, and we don't know where they go from here because there's a lot of uncertainty going forward uh, with this roster right now. And we'll see what they're able to do here. Um, yeah, but it was shock. Big ups to Miami. Um, Atlanta, I mean, they really came in there and handled their business. Got everything out of the way. Uh, Trey Young was fantastic. Um, the bench, it was overall a team win because they did it collectively on the road in Miami. They didn't relinquish the lead. They were aggressive on the boards. Clint Capella, again, all those guys cut to the basket and dunking, especially off of those. That's what um, Atlanta did. They attacked really quickly. 
and they just put Miami at a disadvantage with three-point shooting, rebounding. And when you win those things, you're most likely going to win the game. You're most likely going to win the game. You get that many opportunities, you get that many three-point shots as an advantage, you're probably going to win the game. And Atlanta did that. They handled their business, and they'll be facing Boston. And that's going to be an interesting series. I think people are saying, yeah, that's going to be a, a easy series for Boston. I think it could be, but we'll talk about that again when it gets closer to the playoffs. Don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe um, if you like what you're seeing and enjoying the channel. Um, and we'll continue this. We'll keep talking basketball. We'll keep having these conversations. Comment as well. I think that's the biggest thing. Comment, like, whatever the case may be. Have some more interaction with the page. That's going to help me grow. That's going to help this channel grow. Uh, and I think that's important, especially when we're talking the game of basketball. And I like talking the game of basketball and interacting with people, getting their different perspectives. Let's continue to do that. Um, let's keep moving on here to the Chicago Bulls saving their season um, with a 109-105 victory, uh, as down as much as 19, I believe, in this game, really looking like it was over. Toronto had a stranglehold on everything. And then Zach Levine happened. Zach Levine had 17 points in the third quarter, finished with 39 points, and just really just brought the Bulls back more than anything else. Um, really putting the team on his back and was really just not willing to lose. Um, Patrick Beverly and um, Alex Caruso defended really well after their big. They were down big, but um, the Chicago Bulls have a new big three: <laughs> Demar Derozan, Zach Levine, and Dr. Derozan. And when you look at that, <laughs> she's really the MVP of this game, right? Like um, they're on the road in uh, in Toronto. Um, DeMar DeRozan obviously played in Toronto for 10 seasons, had basically the bulk of his career there, and now he's coming back, and his daughter begged to come to the game. <laughs> and DeMar DeRozan had a good game, had 23 points, uh, had a big couple big dunks over Siakam and Scotty Barnes in the game. He had one over Siakam in the first quarter and had a big one late in the fourth quarter against uh, Scotty Barnes off a cut in the pass from Zach Levine. And DeMar DeRozan had 23 points, played well. Zach Levine was the outlier, just really putting the team on his back. But DR DeRozan probably had the biggest impact and affected 18 free throws. The Toronto Raptors were 18 for 36 from the free throw line. And the reason why was DR DeRozan literally sat there and screamed. And you know how the crowd gets quiet on home uh, uh, free throws. Well, there was one willing participant to disrupt all of that, and that was D.R. DeRozan. Um, DeMar DeRozan's daughter sat there and literally screamed every free throw of the game for the Toronto Raptors and caused the impact where they shot 50%. <laughs> you can go look at the clips, look at YouTube, whatever the case may be, and she basically screamed her heart out on every Toronto Raptors free throw. She's the only Bulls fan, arguably, in the crowd because you know how Toronto just packs up at any home game. They show out anytime they're in the playoffs. She's literally the only one as a Chicago Bulls fan in the audience and goes ballistic every free throw, just starts screaming timely now. <laughs> we have untucked Kyrie. We have game six Clay. We have game six LeBron. We have the Kobe Scow. And now we have DR DeRozan scream at free throws. And DeMar DeRozan basically said she begged him to come to the game. 
And he said, all right, we're going to the game. You can skip school. To, you can miss school today. <laughs> and it paid dividends. It saved the bowl season. It literally saved the bowl season. They missed 18 free throws. Let's say they make, let's say they even make a couple more free throws and the, the Toronto Raptors win the game. If they make five more free throws, the Toronto Raptors win the game. And for her to be that effective on the free throw line with that, it was awesome to see. It was, it was, it was probably one of the best moments of the play, right? Like in playing basketball history, her being an annoyance to the Toronto Raptors fans and the Toronto Raptors players, and then missing 18 out of 36 free throws, probably the best thing for them, right? Like, that was awesome to see, really awesome. And that's the new big three for sure, um, for Chicago. And if I'm, De, if I'm DeMar DeRozan, keep, keep, keep bringing your daughter to these games. <laughs> it's effective. It's working. Do it. Um, well, let's keep moving on to Toronto. Toronto just lost the grips of the game, and they have Yaka Pirtle out there defending. And when the Bulls went small, that seemed to be the, the point in time where everything changed for the uh, Toronto Raptors on that end. They had everything going. Um, Pascal Siakam was playing well. OG Ananobi, um, Scotty Barnes. Yaka Pirtle was a big part of that. But when the Bulls went small, it seemed like they just didn't have enough answers for that, and the Bulls were able to get back in the game able to use their defensive side uh, with Patrick Beverly, Alex Caruso getting up in guys and really stagnating the Toronto uh, offense. And on the other side, when DeMar DeRozan had opened up everything for DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine, they were able to get some scores and to be able to be aggressive. And when that happened, it was like, uh uh-oh. And then he just slowly started seeing everything go like an avalanche, like a snowball building up and just going downhill for the Toronto Raptors from that standpoint. And when you get Patrick Williams able to hit some shots there, you get DeMar DeRozan being aggressive. You get Nikola Vucevic, okay. But Zach Levine really brought this team back with 17 in the third quarter. But Toronto just really stagnated. Even though they were trying to hold on to the lead, had some big shots from Fred Van Fleet. He was able to get the switch on Vucevic and be able to get some shots. It was really just uncanny, and it's just like it's just been a microcosm of their season where everything starts to slow down, and they can't continue to keep their offense up, even though they're a good defensive team. For them to lose the grips on the game like that, and really see at home, at home. I think that's the biggest thing here because you thought that would have been a big advantage for um, Toronto. It wasn't over the course of the game. Um, But let's move on to Nick Nurse's future. There's rumors that he's already going to be leaving. He's already said, I'm contemplating um, my options. He said that a couple weeks ago. (laughs) So you're looking at this guy who was basically in their G League system, has been there for 10 years, and I coached them to that 2019 championship. We're now four years removed from that. And you're just sitting there like, what's going on here? This guy, I thought this guy was bulletproof. I thought he was made there. But with everything going on, he had issues with Pascal Siakam at times. Their offense being stagnant when it wasn't really like that before. And now you're looking and you're like, why is this guy leaving? He's a champion. He's a proven commodity. And now you're seeing, you're hearing people say that he might be out. He might be on the move. People are already saying that he already has the job. He's just waiting to leave. So it's very uncertain to see a championship coach and a guy that was well-respected in that organization and around the league and considered one of the better coaches in the league to just leave this situation where Toronto, even though it hasn't been all sunshine and rainbows, you figure they would have been able to figure out a way to make it better and work that out. And to hear him possibly gone. That is interesting to hear, and it's, it's wondering because there are a couple jobs that are open. 
You know, you got the Houston job that's open. You got the Detroit job that's open. People are saying Philadelphia's job might be open. Um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens there with him, where he's going to go, because he's one of the better coaches in the league. And he's going to be getting a good offer from some team. But it's just it's, it's, it's weird to see Toronto already looking and being like, there's kind of uncertainty there in Toronto and, and on all fronts, right? Um, and it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. And now we're going to move on to our last topic here is OKC with the upset over the Pelicans, 123 and 118 game. Um, and I thought that this game was going to be uh, – I was giving the edge to New Orleans because I'm like, they're at home, at Brandon Ingram, they have C.J. McCollum. They played in a couple big games before, been to the playoffs. Maybe they would have that game. But the performances of Shea Gilders-Alexander, Josh Gideon, and Lou Dort, tremendous for a team that's not really been in the playoffs. I believe Lou Dort was on the team with uh, Chris Paul that got to the playoffs in the bubble. For those guys to go out there and play as poised as they did and really, really, really impact the game how they did was impressive. Like Shea Gilders-Alexander had 32 points. But the way he was getting his buckets, the way that he was playing defense, the way that he was getting to the bucket and, and, and basically shouldering guys off and creating creativity around the bucket, able to get any shots he wanted, was very telling. Despite they put Herb Jones on him, they put uh, uh, Trey Murphy on him, they put different looks on him, and he was still able to get his get his uh, shots off. And for him to do that, and Josh Giddy, who's a young player too as well, had a big game. Um, 31, 10, and 9, nearly a triple-double. And I was like, yo, he's got to get that last rebound to get that triple-double, right? But for those guys to go in there like that, especially uh, Josh Giddy, who's never had that playoff experience, to get in there and play like that, be as creative as he was, they, there were some mistakes there from this young team, but for them to hang on and continue to fight and continue to pour it on and continue to just – lead those guys like that. And Lou Dort, I did not think he had that type of offensive game as well. We saw moments of that, but we've really seen the growth of his game where he's athletic. He can get up, he can defend. Um, and now he's shooting the ball real well. And it's like, that wasn't a part of his game. And it's like, damn, like you, these guys, Sam Presti really does it again. He's gotten all these guys together. Jalen Williams is both of them. Josh Giddy, um, Isaiah Joe, I believe off the bench, all these guys that they come in there, and they just play well, right? Like they just able to just attack. They run their offensive system. Um, I can't remember the uh, coach's name, Dogonot. I can't, I can never pronounce his name right. But his impact and being able to get these guys ready, be aggressive, be able to attack, be able to stay in the flow of things. And that's one thing I can speak about this team. They compete, right? This game was highly competitive on both sides of the ball. People look at the score and say, oh, they don't play defense. If you watch the game, this was a highly intensive game, a lot of mismatching, a lot of chess game, a lot of matchups there where they were basically attacking each other and finding out ways to score and defend and switches. Everything was tough in this game down to the wire. Everything was tough. Um, uh, but we move on to the Pelican side of things. And, you know, you had Brandon Ingram, who was very good in the game. I thought he played well. Um had 30 points, was able to facilitate, and I thought he played well. And that's something that over the course of the season, where they were talking about Brandon Ingram getting the ball in his hands as a facilitator more than a scorer, he was able to do that, and you were able to see that over the course of the game. I thought a big thing that hurt the Pelicans was uh, uh, Valanchunas going down. 
Um, he hurt his foot late in the fourth quarter, and that kind of changed where he was really getting it going, um, really gave them the lead at one point with a corner three. And he just saw him hurt his foot, and it's just he had to come out the game. And that sucked because he was the advantage for the Pelicans, especially inside on the boards, especially on the boards. Had 18 boards and 16 points. He was playing really well. And I thought that was a factor where his size was giving OKC problems. And when he came out the game, that was an issue. Herb Jones had 20 points, five assists, and five rebounds. So you look at his performance, still continuing to play hard. Um, C.J. McCollum had a tough night. Uh, Trey Murphy the third. They went to him a lot. They went to him a lot in that game, and I was like, okay, he, he's got some game, and he was able to put up some shots, but not really efficient. But when you're looking at Brandon Ingram, his growth as a player, who's really the standout right now for the New Orleans Pelicans, um, with 30 and seven, and I thought I was really impressed by his game. I thought he played really well. I thought he did enough things to win, and of course, a couple of late turnovers there uh, by the Pelicans hurt them. And you're just looking at the outlook of the season for them. A team that was in first place in the Western Conference. Yes, a lot of teams are injured over the course of the season. But they were playing well, and that was with multiple guys out, multiple injuries. But the injuries to Zion has hurt this team the most, and they're not in that position anymore. And it's like, damn, when you really look how good they were playing earlier in the season and how impactful Zion was, and now you're hearing his recent comments where he's like, yo, I'm just not ready yet. That sucks, and now now they're eliminated. So now they're going to have a long offseason. They have a couple options to make here. But I think going forward, they have good nucleuses like Trey Murphy the third, Herb Jones, Brandon Ingram, Zion Williamson. If this team can just get healthy at some point, and that's been the, the talk of the town for New Orleans since drafting Zion. If this Even before that, <laughs> when you look at their history with Anthony Davis and Eric Gordon and, and, and DeMarcus Cousins, like even further than that, other guys – just always in and out of the lineup, not being healthy. It seems to just be the same old song, despite the, the medical changes, despite the uh, uh, the improvements they made there, there still seems to be this injury bug with this team because CJ was down at multiple times during the season. Brandon Ingram had that toe injury, and I think he had a concussion randomly. Um, Zion Williamson with his hamstring when he was playing really well and had them in first place. So to sit there and turn around and see this team continue to struggle with injuries, continue to struggle – um, team-wise, record-wise, and them have this type of talent, have that type of intensity of the team. Jackson Hayes, have all these guys, um, Larry Nance. You have all these guys that can play and put it together, and it's just like they will provide all these um, problems for a lot of teams, healthy, whatever the case may be, against these other team top-tier teams, and just not able to stay healthy. Even Jose Alvarado's hurt. So now you're looking there and you're just like, damn, what, like, how can they put it together? And it's just really the injuries to Zion, Jose Alvarado, really hurt this team. They wouldn't even be in this position, honestly, if they had those guys healthy, in my opinion, even if the whole West was healthy. I still, still think they would either be in seventh place or sixth place. They will be able to be one of the top better teams in the, in the Western Conference. So to see this continuously happen for them, that sucks. Like, that's really tough uh, for the Pelicans. And they got to get basically get Zion healthy, whatever they got to do. Uh, uh, to get that guy right, uh, they got to figure out a way. They got to figure out a way. They already invested the money in him. He's going to be stuck there. You're going to be stuck with him. It's like, we got to figure out a way to get this guy. Like, New Orleans deserves it. That crowd is wild. They show up all the time. They support their team. They deserve to have a good team, and especially one of the better teams where uh, David Griffin, Griffin didn't have the best showing there early on who's been able to turn around and put together a really good team with a really good nucleus. And it's like, can they just stay healthy? That's the, that seems to be the, 
the uh, major concern with the Pelicans. Can they stay healthy? And can they win basketball games? And I believe they can if they're healthy. And they got to get there at some point. Got to get there at some point. Um, moving on, the play and success. Like, all these games have been entertaining. Um, I thought I was going to go to sleep early and be like, yeah, I can't watch this game. But I ended up staying up and watching these games. The games are highly competitive. Some of these games, yeah, some of these teams get down big. But the way they come back and the way they fight for their season, this is what the plan was supposed to be. I believe everybody's watching this game. You have DR DeRozan making an impact as a fan. Um, you got the Lakers, main uh, big market TV, big big market uh, uh, team playing in the plan, possibly setting up different matchups out west. Uh, you got Chicago, you got Miami, you got Atlanta, you got Toronto. You got all these teams that are highly competitive. We see the young OKC Thunder going on now to face Minnesota and have a chance as a 10 seed to get to the playoffs. That's the first time this has happened in the play, and that, that's in play right now. Um, <clears throat> that's in play right now. And to get that potentially with all these teams fighting, this is what the NBA wanted, all these teams to be competitive and really put on a show. OKC, I'm very impressed by. They're going on to face Minnesota and have a real good chance. Um, Chicago has a chance to be another 10 seed and get in. All these road teams winning, the only home team that won in the play in so far has been the Los Angeles Lakers. But you look at what Atlanta was able to do. You look at what Chicago was able to do. You look at what Oklahoma City was able to do as a really young team to go in there and win those games on the road. Kudos to them. And the plan has been a success, even though some of these teams, I feel like they would have been better if they were healthy. But this is what the NBA wanted. They wanted big-time matchups. We're getting them. We're getting competitive basketball. These guys are showing up. And I love it. I love it. The, uh, the play-in, keep it going, especially if we're going to get more, especially when talent like this is in the league from top to bottom. You're literally seeing the talent in the league right now. Although Anthony Edwards didn't have a good showing, he can possibly have a great showing on Friday. You got Lou Dort. You got Josh Giddy, you got SGA, you got DeMar DeRozan, you got Zach Levine, you got LeBron James, you got Anthony Davis. You got all these guys in here, and the plans has been a success to me. And I think we're going to continue on Friday. I think those teams, those games could be letdowns, especially with the outlook of certain things. I don't know what the outlook of Anthony Edwards is in Minnesota. Um, Rudy Gobert should be back, so that will be interesting <laughs> for that game if needed. Uh Against, I think that sh he should play that game and try to really impose his will and make it up to the team to get them into the playoffs. Because if they don't make the playoffs, their whole season has been a disaster anyway. To not make the playoffs in your first season as the big trade acquisition, that will be devastating for him. Um, excuse me, Miami Heat putting a, a shot to the end of their season that has been injury-filled and stagnant and has looked like they're at the end of their run. That's going to be interesting. And to see OKC possibly make it as a 10 seed, a young team like that, what more can you want in the play, right? Um, but that will do it for episode 40. Um, uh, we'll continue to move on with uh, playoff talk. Ring takes will be returning next week. I didn't feel like there was enough to talk about really this week. So hopefully something transpires where we can uh, uh, bring up more wrestling topics. Um, we're also going to be starting our uh, – goat debate in in wrestling and i, I wanted to do this uh post merger i want to say 1980 onward because you know the bruno san martinos and and um all those other guys that basically grew the wrestling business or early on i'm not really going to include those guys we're going to pay homage to those guys those guys are great of course 
uh, Pedro Morales and all those other guys. Yes, those guys are great. But we're really just going to start from 1980s onwards. So that's Hulk Hogan, Macho Man, Randy Savage, and others. But that's just the time period we're trying to think of uh, as we start this GOAT debate um, and start the bracket and move on. Uh, as we move on to in basketball, I'm going to be on the Mr. Vincent podcast today, hopefully today, later on, as we talk basketball and get that stuff going. Um, check out his podcast. He talks about wrestling and basketball as well as among other things. I'm going to be on that today. So, of course, you guys check that out as well. Um, continue to like, comment, and subscribe. As always, I like the interaction with the fans and talking basketball. Hopefully, I'm a new, fresh face in this field. And it'll be interesting to talk to you guys about basketball because I love it. And I love talking to it. I love having conversations and debates about it. Um, let's continue to do that. Um, but that will do it for episode 40 here. Um, and until next time, thank you for joining me.